Chapter Eleven of the Crucifixion of Philip Strong by Charles Monroe Sheldon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by David Gore. Chapter Eleven. I heard your sermon this morning," said Philip's guest, while Mrs. Strong was removing the small table to the dining room. Did you? asked Philip, because he could not think of anything wiser to say. Yes, said the strange visitor, simply. He was so silent after saying this one word that Philip did what he never was in the habit of doing. He always shrank back sensitively from asking for an opinion of his preaching from any one except his wife. But now he could not help saying, "'What did you think of it?' "'It was one of the best sermons I ever heard. But somehow it did not sound sincere.' "'What?' exclaimed Philip, almost angrily. If there was one thing he felt sure about, it was the sincerity of his preaching.' Then he checked his feeling as he thought how foolish it would be to get angry at a passing tramp who was probably a little out of his mind. Yet the man's remark had a strange power over him. He tried to shake it off as he looked harder at him. The man looked over at Philip and repeated gravely, shaking his head, "'Not sincere.' Mrs. Strong came back into the room, and Philip motioned her to sit down near him while he said, "'And what makes you think I was not sincere? You said the age in which we lived demanded that people live in a far simpler, less extravagant style.' "'Yes, that is what I said. I believe it, too,' replied Philip clasping his hands over his knee and gazing at his singular guest with earnestness. The man's thick white hair glistened in the open firelight like spun glass. "'And you said that Christ would not approve of people spending money for flowers, food, and dress on those who did not need it, when it could more wisely be expended for the benefit of those who were in want.' Yes, those were not my exact words, but that was my idea. Your idea, just so. And yet we have here in this little lunch, or as you called it, a bite of something, three different kinds of meat, two kinds of bread, hothouse grapes, and the richest kind of milk. The man said all this in the quietest, calmest manner possible, and Philip stared at him, more assured than ever that he was a little crazy. Mrs. Strong looked amused, and said, "'You seemed to enjoy the lunch pretty well.' The man had eaten it with a zest that was redeemed from greediness only by a delicacy of manner that no tramp ever possessed. "'My dear madam,' said the man. Perhaps this was a case where the food was given to one who stood really in need of it. Philip started as if he had suddenly caught a meaning from the man's words which he had not before heard in them. Do you think it was an extravagant lunch, then? he asked with a very slight laugh. The man looked straight at Philip and replied slowly, Yes, 
for the times in which we live. A sudden silence fell on the group of three in the parlor of the parsonage, lighted up by the soft glow of the coal fire. No one except a person thoroughly familiar with the real character of Philip Strong could have told why that silence fell on him instead of a careless laugh at the crazy remark of a half-witted stranger tramp. Just how long the silence lasted he did not know. Only, when it was broken, he found himself saying, "'Man, who are you? Where are you from? And what is your name?' His guest turned his head a little and replied, "'When you called me in here, you stretched out your hand and called me brother. Just now you called me by the great term man. These are my names.' You may call me Brother Man. Well, then, Brother Man, said Philip, smiling a little to think of the very strangeness of the whole affair. Your reason for thinking I was not sincere in my sermon this morning was because of the extravagant lunch this evening? Not altogether. There are other reasons. The man suddenly bowed his head between his hands, and Philip's wife whispered to him, "'Philip, what is the use of talking with the crazy man? "'You are tired, and it is time to put out the lights and go to bed. "'Get him out of the house now as soon as you can.' "'The stranger raised his head and went on talking "'just as if he had not broken off abruptly. "'Other reasons. "'In your sermon you tell the people they ought to live less luxuriously.' You point them to the situation in this town, where thousands of men are out of work. You call attention to the great poverty and distress all over the world, and you say the times demand that people live far simpler, less extravagant lives. And yet here you live yourself like a prince. Like a prince he repeated, after a peculiar gesture, which seemed to include not only what was in the room, but all that was in the house. Philip glanced at his wife, as people do when they suspect a third person being out of his mind, and saw that her expression was very much like his own feeling, although not exactly. Then they both glanced around the room. It certainly did look luxurious, even if not princely. The parsonage was an old mansion which had once belonged to a wealthy but eccentric sea captain. He had it built to please himself, something after the colonial fashion, and large square rooms, generous fireplaces with quaint mantels and tiling and hardwood floors gave the house an appearance of solid comfort that approached luxury. The church in Milton had purchased the property from the heirs, who had become involved in ruinous speculation, and parted with the house for a sum little representing its real worth. It had been changed a little, and modernized, although the old fireplaces still remained, and one spare room, an annex to the house proper, had been added recently. There was an air of decided comfort bordering on luxury in the different pieces of furniture and the whole appearance of the room. "'You understand,' said Philip, 
as his glance traveled back to his visitor, that this house is not mine. It belongs to my church. It is the parsonage, and I am simply living in it as the minister. Yes, I understand. You, a minister, are living in this princely house, while other people have not where to lay their heads. Again Philip felt the same temptation to anger steal into him, and again he checked himself at the thought. The man is certainly insane. The whole thing is simply absurd. I will get rid of him. And yet... He could not shake off a strange and powerful impression which the stranger's words had made upon him. Crazy or not, the man had hinted at the possibility of an insincerity on his part which made him restless. He determined to question him and see if he really would develop a streak of insanity that would justify him in getting rid of him for the night. "'Brother man,' he said, using the term his guest had given him, "'do you think I am living too extravagantly to live as I do?' "'Yes, in these times, and after such a sermon. "'What would you have me do?' Philip asked the question half seriously, half amused at himself for asking advice from such a source. Do as you preach that others ought to. Again that silence fell over the room, and again Philip felt the same impression of power in the strange man's words. The brother man, as he wished to be called, bowed his head between his hands again, and Mrs. Strong whispered to her husband, "'Now it is certainly worse than foolish to keep this up any longer. The man is evidently insane. We cannot keep him here all night. He will certainly do something terrible. Get rid of him, Philip. This may be a trick on the part of the whiskey men.' Never in all his life had Philip been so puzzled to know what to do with a human being. Here was one, the strangest he had ever met, who had come into his house. It is true that he had been invited, but once within he had invited himself to stay all night, and then had accused his entertainer of living too extravagantly and called him an insincere preacher. Add to all this the singular fact that he had declared his name to be Brother Man, and that he spoke with a calmness that was the very incarnation of peace, and Philip's wonder reached its limit. In response to his wife's appeal, Philip rose abruptly and went to the front door. He opened it, and a whirl of snow danced in. The wind had changed, and the moan of a coming heavy storm was in the air. The moment that he opened the door his strange guest also rose, and putting on his hat he said, as he moved slowly toward the hall, I must be going. I thank you for your hospitality, madam. Philip stood holding the door partly open. He was perplexed to know just what to do or say. Where will you stay tonight? Where is your home? "'My home is with my friends,' replied the man. He laid his hand on the door, opened it, and had stepped one foot out on the porch 
when Philip, seized with an impulse, laid his hand on his arm, gently but strongly pulled him back into the hall, shut the door, and placed his back against it. "'You cannot go out into this storm until I know whether you have a place to go to for the night.' The man hesitated curiously, shuffled his feet on the mat, put his hand up to his face, and passed it across his eyes with a gesture of great weariness. There was a look of loneliness and of unknown sorrow about his whole figure that touched Philip's keenly sensitive spirit irresistibly. If the man was a little out of his right mind, he was probably harmless. They could not turn him out into the night if he had nowhere to go. "'Brother man,' said Philip gently, "'would you like to stay here to-night? Have you anywhere else to stay?' you are afraid i will do harm but no see let us sit down he laid his hat on the table resumed his seat and asked philip for a bible philip handed him one he opened it and read a chapter from the prophet isaiah and then sitting in the chair bowing his head between his hands he offered a prayer of such wonderful beauty and spiritual refinement of expression that Mr. and Mrs. Strong listened with awed astonishment. When he had uttered the Amen, Mrs. Strong whispered to Philip, Surely we cannot shut him out with the storm. We will give him the spare room. Philip said not a word. He at once built up a fire in the room, and in a few moments invited the man into it. "'Brother man,' he said simply, "'stay here as if this was your own house. You are welcome for the night.' "'Yes, heartily welcome,' said Philip's wife, as if to make amends for any doubt she had felt before. For reply, the brother man raised his hand almost as if in benediction and they left him to his rest. End of chapter 11 Recording by David Gore